Thanks, Amanda. I'm really pleased to be here and uh, nice to have a good turnout. Um, I wanted to jump straight in with a couple of case studies and really kind of get under the skin of two really interesting projects we're involved in. Um, but just by way of introduction, I'm an architect but also a town planner, although leaning towards the sort of urban design end of town planning. I've never understood Section 106 and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as a practice, my, my practice may, we're just uh, based very near here on the other side of Exmouth Market. We're involved in quite a lot of um, large-scale housing schemes, specifically estate regeneration, and currently tackling one of the largest, the Aylesbury Estate, which is, I think, going to keep us busy till 2032. It's due to finish. Um, but I'm going to show two schemes that are actually moving a slightly quicker pace, uh, which hopefully will um, give you food for thought. Uh, Amanda mentioned that alongside um, our architectural work, we're heavily involved as a practice in drafting best practice guidance, policy development. So as well as the Mayor's Guide, um, I used to work with colleagues here for, at CABE, um, drafting a lot of their housing best practice guidance um, when I was there full time. And, and initiatives like Building for Life and so on were, were under my kind of auspices or, or remit at the time. Um, and we've tried to, although kind of our writing is focused, tend to be on sort of government thinking and best practice, we've recently just drafted and pulled together our own thoughts about um, housing and placemaking in a book called Places for Strangers, which is going to come out at the end of this month. And it's trying to give a slightly different um, notion about uh, best practice thinking. It's a sort of polemic on how we create successful places uh, for people that we don't know. Our dilemma as architects, we started as a practice designing very kind of high-end bespoke projects for individual clients where you have a one-to-one -one conversation, um, which were lovely and uh, very fulfilling, but um, you don't really make much of an impact on cities and places. And the work we're doing now really is kind of a very different scale. It's changing neighbourhoods, but it's changing neighbours for people that you don't necessarily kind of fully um, engage with and understand. Um, a lot of our work is obviously has a lot of consultation involved in it, um, but you know, there's always sort of remoteness, I guess, from the actual end people that you're designing for. So, Place Strange tries to capture how you might design successful places that uh, enable a sense of community, that uh, create a sense of identity for those people that are moving into it. Um, and two of the projects that we touch on in this book are uh, the Tyballs Estate and the Agar Grove Estate, which we're currently working on uh, for the London Borough of Camden. So that's what I want to touch on uh, this evening. Um, the first sort of theme I want to pick up on um, is an idea of retrospective integration. Uh, there's often a, an immediate kind of uh, assumption about estate regeneration to demolish and replace. And partly because so many kind of 60s estates are reaching the end of their lives, 50s, 60s estates in, in poor stock condition, are kind of alien to their context. They were kind of designed with utopian ideals in mind uh, that were very kind of uh, principled but actually very alien to their immediate context. 
And so, sorry about spelling, I'll move on quickly, it's a spelling error, um, the typo there. Um, I'll, uh, so I want to talk about how you might give a bit more meaning back to certain estates that perhaps aren't as successful as we might like, or don't fit into the urban pattern that we're all promoting now of the, and the stuff that the uh, UDG kind of promotes so well, the sort of streets and squares and um, sort of more traditional patterns of urban uh, development. So the Tybalt Estate uh, is just uh, in Holborn, uh, just off uh, Theobald's Road to the north. You've got the fantastic uh, Lambs Conduit Street just to the east, which has become a mecca for the kind of young trendies buying their um, uh, fashionable outfits and hanging out for coffees and lattes and the like. Um, but curiously, just to the west is the Tybalt Estate, which isn't what you'd necessarily expect for a kind of affluent W1 or WC1 neighbourhood. And you've got these two 60s towers stuck in the middle. And what's curious about it, and what we kind of were immediately struck by, is that they're sort of sitting in a very alien landscape of back garden walls, kind of leftover spaces, unedifying and unattractive public realm. Uh, and then that's another view from a tall building that we're in, which is, or, which is the, the photographer's in, which is 1950s building, so a bit earlier. Uh, and so you've got this kind of rather beautiful Victorian terrace housing, um, that's Lambs Conduit Street there. So you've got a real ragtag mix of architecture over the ages, all kind of advocating and promoting their ideals of the time, the traditional streetscapes of um, Georgian and Victorian London next to the kind of more utopian ideals of kind of objects in a landscape and almost kind of Villa Radiers kind of Corbusier thinking of let's live in towers and, and space could, landscape can just um, occupy the space that's left over. And I suppose our brief was really to try and not replace the existing housing but actually try and stitch together infill new housing that might give meaning to these different bits of history. I've pulled this presentation, I know there was due to be a local authority speaker tonight, which wasn't our client, but someone from Hackney. Um, this, I've pulled some slides together jointly with our clients, so I'm also just going to quickly touch on Camden's perspective and what they're trying to get out of this project. Um, the programme fits within a much larger Camden aspira aspirational programme called the Community Investment Programme which is looking at long-term uh, bringing together a range of work that helps uh, get the best use out of the council's assets. So it's not just this site, they're looking at all their estates across Camden and helping to shape and transform those places um, while addressing kind of the shortage of funding that every local authority is facing. Um, but they do now have uh, the ability to kind of improve their um, borrowing powers against the housing revenue account, I don't really understand it, but it means they've got money to spend. Um, and part of that is being spent on their own land, rather than just giving it up to housing developers or housing associations, actually taking the initiative themselves to build on that land or intensify it or redevelop, and using the profit that a developer might make to plough back into uh, the community. So you can see they've got a huge financial deficit, 403 million capital investment needed. Um, they've got a huge waiting list of 25,000 homes needed. Uh, and then other initiatives such as schools programs. Um, 
and improvements in public realm and so on. So with the Tybalt estate, Camden have decided to act as developer. And the benefit to them is that they can allow and deliver more affordable housing uh, through that programme than they would otherwise get by passing on to a registered provider. Gives them much more control over the quality of what they're going to get. Uh, and I think, actually, if we think back to sort of Camden's legacy under Sidney Cook, um, when they built projects like Branch Hill, Alexandra Road, with architects like Neve Brown, um, Benson Forsyth, uh, Chamberlain Poundbond, they did some of their most fantastic work when they were in control. And I think the aspiration shared by a very young team at Camden are looking to deliver something as good as that period. Um, they're taking on the private sale risk, which I think is really interesting. Um, so marketing that under probably a clever branding name, but um, essentially they'll be selling the market sale component, uh, which gives them the additional profit. Um, and then creating a legacy as well. So, specifically, um, let's see if this pointer works. Uh, we've got Bloomsbury Square, we've got uh, Great Ormond Street Hospital, we'll be familiar with. Uh, and then the estate is quite, it's not a sort of singular estate, it uh, sort of extends out and beyond the two towers I mentioned. It includes some 1950s slab blocks here, um, some terraces here. Um, very mixed bag in terms of story heights, 5 to 14 storeys, um, building quality and so on. Um, it's not just us working on it. I sh uh, need to credit a very large team. We've got Tibbles, who are an urban design and planning consultancy leading the project. Uh, we've been working collaboratively with two other architects, Avanti <coughs> and Doug and Morris. A really enjoyable kind of process of engagement and collaboration. Um, and then we've got other consultants, landscape architects um, and engineers and so on. Um, and also not just working between us collaboratively but with uh, community and existing estate residents. So just a few views of what it's currently like. We've got a real mix of you know, bits of leftover space here, uh, car parking with kind of tall walls, which actually at night when you're walking through this area doesn't feel very comfortable. There's very little surveillance of some of these public spaces. Um, so actually any new intervention, our intention was to try and use new buildings to improve uh, the, the public realm, improve people's sense of uh, security um, uh, and the quality of the public space. Uh, and, but there are sort of moments that are quite loved by the community. There's a little play area here, which you can't really see uh, in this photo, but that was the, the residents were very vocal about keeping that, and I'll explain a little bit of history to that. Um, but then you've got kind of more car parks, um, kind of unwanted or unused storage spaces, um, kind of leftover areas at the backs of buildings. A lot of backs of buildings facing onto public realm. You know, you've got blank gables, you've got the backs of shops on uh, that street there, uh, and these sort of wasted spaces as well. So what are the opportunities? Um, there was already a feasibility study done before we were engaged, that, uh, which HTA had, uh, had done, uh, which has set out basic parameters for infill. And some of those touch on conservation area. We've got Great Ormond Street as the edge of conservation area, as is Alderhall Street. And then you've got some quite interesting uh, buildings that make very positive urban contributions. 
If we jump back a century, uh, really interesting, tight grain neighbourhood, and it's predominantly terraces all the way through. So we've got Order Hall Street that now runs through here, um, and the site was previously a mews with terraces, and then you've got Great Ormond Street there. So that's 1800. Um, and then now you see it's fragmented, completely fragmented, that the developments kind of, or the neighbourhoods sort of slightly fallen apart, and what was coherent streets has now become kind of just backs of buildings around here, around there. Um, two towers that have their fronts on that side but leave their backs exposed on that side. Um, so for us, the opportunity was not just to kind of provide new housing and valuable affordable housing, but actually try and reframe some of this bit of city, bring together some of the ideals over different periods, um, and we, what we call sort of dental surgery. It's kind of putting back infill development that helps make it a place again. Um, so this was the master plan, and they proposed little two-storey terraces, which in the end proved a bit too confrontational with these, so we kind of modified that. A little terrace of houses there, an infill here, which kind of we felt sort of broke up the space a bit too much, so we revisited that. The thing that we found really problematic with this master plan is that they proposed reintroducing Order Hall Street as a traditional street with terraces either side. And I can see while the urban design perspective making a two-sided street is a desirable solution, our immediate thought was, well, actually, that turn, then all it does is turn its back on this tower and denies the kind of relevance of that period of history. And also, it's quite a nice little play area that people are protective of. So I think one reason that we won the bid was that, because the community were on the selection panel, was that we said, well, actually, we don't think that's the right solution. Let's lose that. We can reaccommodate that accommodation elsewhere keep some public space and actually give a bit more meaning to that tower by framing it uh, by the new development here and here and the existing terrace there. There's also proposed quite a lot of overbuilds and extensions, uh, single storey rooftop extensions, little infills, these red ones here, um, that just add a stack of maybe five, maybe ten, maybe fifteen flats. But it all adds up. So more clearly, that's the master plan, sorry it's upside down, that's Order Hall Street and all the white is the new intervention so what was proposed as a terrace for us became some little muse houses um, what was a block here we turned it around so it started creating a bit more of a square there the terrace here creates a frontage onto this space here and then the others are little extensions and overbuilds so it's just trying to set out some of the initial thoughts and the urban principles that we worked to. This was the existing condition of the ground plane, sort of awkward edges, um, and we thought we'd just iron it out and create very coherent frontages. So actually these two towers sit within streetscapes on either side. We thought we'd give more coherence to three formal open spaces there, but then also, where there are big trees here, modify the building heights so that they keep those open, so that where there's proximity problems between the edge of the tower and that back of Terrace or back of Blemondsbury, keep those open. So it, again, lends a bit more coherence uh, to the public realm. Um, and then this was just about uh, yeah, addressing the, the, the backs of those buildings. 
which is that sort of condition. So one of the, just jumping into specific, um, got existing estate block here, slab block, deck access, and then leftover space behind, and then an unappealing um, sort of sunken courtyard space. So our proposal put a new terrace of family houses up against it. We could then landscape in between, um, create a new communal community sort of courtyard for those residents, and then the residents from the existing tower have aspect down onto uh, roof terraces. And then at the left, um, that, that's that space uh, going, oop, uh, going back. Um, it's this one back here, a uh, little infill that again respects some of the heights and the forms around it. And then the little muse houses that infill that terrace, there's kind of a rather beautiful little arts and crafts uh, house there that again we respected the heights of, stepped them down where we needed to protect trees or aspect or daylight. Um, and then just create a very simple, and we called it a muse, it's not kind of technically a muse, it's because it doesn't have um, houses on both sides, but they have the characteristics of muse houses. Um, and then re-landscape in public realm so that it's a pedestrianised priority street. And then very simple expressed architecture. I think the thing that we admire about the sort of Victorian and Georgian terraces is their is kind of neutrality. Housing makes up something like 80% of a city. It is the background of a city. It doesn't need to shout. It doesn't need to be the figure ground. And actually, we felt there's so much diversity in the neighbourhood um, that, curiously, they selected three architects to add diversity, but we came to a consensus fairly quickly that actually our job was to come together with a consensus view about the architecture and expression um, and use the architecture just to just hold all the difference together. So uh, that's the terrace of houses. It bookends at the end, so just creating two slightly taller buildings at either end uh, to frame that landscape space and the tower. Um, and then that's just extending the model, so again, some extensions here, which Avanti worked on. And just seeing the ensemble and how it comes together. And then just drawing reference to the sort of simple brick architecture of the area, um, careful detailing, um, careful consideration of window frames, of reveals, um, giving depth to the, the brick reveals and the entrances, thinking about the threshold condition across uh, to the front door, thinking about the quality of brickwork that we choose. And we worked really, I mean, Camden, to their credit, have a really positive relationship between their urban design uh, regeneration team and their um, planning team. So there was a very uh, strong input on both the projects that I'm going to show from their urban design team, um, who have very strong views about design to, uh, and, and in a very positive way. And just some examples of, of the simple but kind of carefully thought through architecture. And then that's just thinking about how you might, so for example on one of the buildings, Blemondsbury, we had the new terrace that I've mentioned in front, but then we had the overbuilds and the extension to the end. So we kind of wanted to lock them all in. It became a, a sort of a, a complete ensemble where the story extension becomes a garden wall, that frames a gable, that turns a corner, becomes a terrace, creates a little entrance courtyard just behind here. And so the whole thing kind of locks together. And that's, again, just thinking about proportions and the architecture and how it responds to some of the proportions of existing buildings um, that we were studying in the area. 
So sort of stripping it right back to a very simple expression and then investment. I mean, the beauty of this is it kind of intensifying, but then to give back something to the community, there's investment in the public realm and improved landscape between the existing buildings. And that's just an example of one of Avanti's extensions to the building, picking up on the sort of banding of the concrete from the 1950s building. And uh, just an example of the overbuild there. And some of the detail that we developed through the uh, planning application. So, and then another infill as well. And then the little courtyard. But, I mean, this was quite an interesting one. So, the Devonshire, it was a uh, later development, it was sort of probably 70s, but it's got no lift access, quite poor accessibility. You can see staircases at the back very odd, it's not on the street, it's got the backs of the shops on it. And so we introduced a new little apartment block that shared a new core. And it's interesting that Camden were completely unbiased about the sort of notion of separating out tenures um, and the sort of, uh, often sort of private developers will expect you to segregate um, and ghettoize almost your, your tenures, whereas here we're able to kind of mix, provide a shared entrance for the new um, shared ownership properties on the left and the existing kind of mix of properties on the on, sorry on the right and then the new one existing on the left. Um, so improving accessibility as well. And there's the public realm improvements. So I don't know how I'm doing for time. I've got one other case study. I'll quick. I'll probably move through a bit quicker. Um, so t touching on identity plays. Mer uh, Amanda knows this scheme. Um, so we've been working with. Uh, Hawkins Brown on the Agar Grove Estate, which is a quite different picture. And I thought I'd just show it as a contrast to Tybalt's, because Tybalt's was about intensification and infill. This is about whole-scale redevelopment. And it was voted on very early on by the residents that they wanted to see whole-scale change. A patch-up job wasn't sufficient. Um, the existing estate is in very poor condition, and they could see the benefits of change. With the exception of the residents of this tower, um, who originally didn't want to be involved, um, and then came on board as they saw what could potentially happen around them. But it's up on Agar Grove, just north of, there's Maiden Lane Estate there, and it's classic planning of the time, everything orientated north-south for east-west aspect, um, leftover spaces, which it all looks very green, but it's really unused, underutilised. And... The basic model that we had to follow was double the density to pay for reprovision and a, and a, mod, and a modest uplift of affordable. So 250, sorry, 214 homes became 500, um, with 250 market sale and then the new, new 250 being affordable. And so self-funding model. Um, um, although that sounds like an enormous increase, you can see from here that it's actually relatively low density. Um, so even though we're doubling the density, it was still comfortably within the GLA's density matrix and kind of what, what we consider kind of good urban densities. Kind of curious mix of Lulworth Tower and then some quite cute little houses. Um, but you can see fairly inefficient use of land in, in central London. Uh, again, all the same problems with tie balls, sort of just under-considered, ill-considered public realm. Um, 
leftover spaces. Or not, yeah, I mean they're, they're green and nice, but not well used. And then a very poor relationship to the uh, Victorian villas along AER Grove. You've got these kind of that march handsomely along the street and create a very strong building or uh, street edge. And then you've got the back of existing uh, estate that just sort of, well, doesn't face the street or create a street. So our model plan was very simple. Let's make this part of a continuity of the wider neighbourhood. Let's make this a, a neighbourhood of streets and squares. Um, and give meaning to Lulworth. So Lulworth, actually that graphic's slightly wrong. There's a road that comes through here. So suddenly the tower, Lulworth Tower, sits within a square with new frontages either side and becomes very clear. You can hardly find it when you go there currently. It's sort of quite a convoluted route to find your way there. Um, whereas we gave it more access. And then simple blocks of squares um, with private communal gardens in the middle, a new communal square um, on these edges. And so it was about stitching in and also managing heights so that we deal with terraces and villas uh, opposite existing terraces and villas and build up the height towards the back uh, by the railway where we're not impacting so much on neighbours. And then Lulworth residents did actually come on board once they saw all this happening and they thought, can we have some of the same? So in fact, Lulworth residents will be rehoused here and this is going to be completely stripped back to the core and the frame completely refurbished uh, and it'll actually become private sale because that's going to generate more value um, than merely upgrading it for uh, um, uh, affordable. What that's affording, allowing us to do is deliver uh, the largest passive house scheme in the country, uh, 500 homes designed to passive house standards, uh, which is kind of amazing aspiration of Camden's. I think they recognise that fuel poverty is a real issue. Um, and actually as a social landlord it's something they should tackle and take on and then just the architecture just quickly touch on this before I wrap up um, we didn't want it to be uniform that was partly our approach with, in collaborating with Hawkins Brown but we're also struck that the neighbourhood is made up of terraces, villas, mansion blocks, towers and actually let's characterise let's build on some of that character um, so we did some typological studies looking at kind of historical terraces, contemporary ones, and then how we might interpret that. Uh, villas as well that sort of march along with gaps between them. Uh, mansion blocks as well and thinking about the scale of those uh, through the ages. And so that was really kind of the, the, the generator for the architectural approach. And then just very quickly... Um, prioritising family housing at ground floor and first, so maisonettes that have private gardens with flats above. Um, very generous plans and layouts, thinking carefully about sort of through aspect to gardens and flexibility internally. Um, and also trying to reinvent the split level. We're kind of slightly obsessed by uh, the kind of fantastic split level apartments that Neve Brown and the like, who built for Sydney Cook, uh, achieved and kind of the spatial characteristics you get for those. Uh, so we've kind of introduced those which we still, we're still able to achieve lifetime homes requirements within those and so just a quick few views of what the new neighbourhood will look like um, mixture of terraces uh, that's a view from uh, Lulworth Tower uh, mansion blocks um, the new tower for Lulworth residents uh, and then the new garden square in the middle again in the characteristic of traditional London squares and then the new approach from Agar Grove where we've created a new, um, a new uh, tree 
planted square, which we've called as it's about growing the grove. There's a little uh, cluster of trees on this side of the street that we're linking across. And so that's, that's there, extending that through to the development. And then thinking about simple architecture that again kind of picks up some of the proportions, the characteristics and the patterns of the historic architecture. So that's me. Thank you very much.